listener production. Hey everyone, Amelia Oberhardt here with an extra episode of The Briefing. The world is reeling watching events unfold across Palestine and Israel. As the death toll climbs on both sides and information is released, including the deaths of families and babies, it becomes more and more difficult to process that news cycle. It's heartbreaking no matter what side you support. The Palestinians face a massive military onslaught and the Israelis have just suffered the worst attack on their homeland in 50 years. So how do you cope with catastrophic news? How do you navigate your way through those troubled times? Today, we're joined by Professor Ian Hickey. He's the co-director of the Brain and Mind Institute at the University of Sydney. Professor Hickey, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Is it normal to be upset and traumatised watching these events unfold like we're seeing across Israel and Palestine? It is absolutely normal to be very distressed by these events. We're all exposed to the details. Many of us have connections on on all sides of this particular ongoing tragedy, and it would be anything other than human to not be distressed. We are all distressed by what is happening. Do you think events like the Black Summer bushfires and then the global pandemic, have they increased our overall anxiety? We certainly know from national surveys that particularly amongst younger uh, populations, particularly those under the age of 25, increased rates of anxiety have certainly been obvious. And, And we know through the pandemic that the increased rates of anxiety and depression went up across all age groups, but again, preferentially amongst younger people. Does it work to simply just shut yourself off from the news cycles? None of us can simply shut ourselves off, nor, nor is it appropriate to entirely shut oneself off. One can't deny the reality, just as with the bushfires, just as with the pandemic, and now with these international global security threats, and now in this case, a real tragedy that we have personal and and social connections with. It's impossible to be entirely shut off. So denial of the events doesn't really help. Appropriate engagement and appropriate limitations on that engagement are the ways to better cope. You mentioned earlier about the children and the large-scale increase in their depression and anxiety. What about kids and how should we be dealing with them seeing these sort of images and news stories? They cause us to stress out, but what sort of effect is it having on them even watching us stress? So the reaction of children and young people is often moderated by what their parents, relatives and other people do. So there are a number of important strategies with younger people and particularly with children. One, one is a degree of limitation of direct exposure to the news cycle, particularly to the visual images and the continual repeating of stories of what is happening, in fact, to children and young people in other parts of the world. So without denying that it's happening, there is a role for limiting the degree of exposure every day to it. The next thing is how actually parents, teachers, communities themselves react and discuss these particular events. Of course, for older people... They've seen many tragedies in their lives. They've seen many conflicts and they have a sense that although this is terrible itself, it's one in a series and and as a society and as a country, we have coped with adversity in the past and we expect, therefore, at some stage to move on and to recover and to deal with our grief or to deal with our loss in appropriate ways. So it's important how we behave as social groups, as families, as communities, within church groups, within other organisations in how we talk about these issues, what we see as what needs to be done, what we see as appropriate responses, so that that 
uh, that deals with the distress amongst ourselves more appropriately, but it also sets a pattern, a model for younger people in terms of how to cope best with the news of such tragedies. Is there something tangible I myself could do to make coping easier? Well, the I question is an interesting one. I mean, often we put a big psychological emphasis on the just me. What do I do? As I was saying a moment ago, we also need to think about what we do, who we discuss it with, how we talk about these events, etc. If you're one of those people who actually is really personally very distressed and really distressed by continuous exposure to the news cycle, going back to check all the time, watch the images again, check your phone, try and find out more detail, then you really need to limit that. You need to put stops in that. You need to do other things. You need to engage in other kinds of activities. If it's really interfering with your sleep, if it's really causing you to be more anxious, then you do need to take more individual actions to moderate that, to relieve that distress and that anxiety, and certainly maintain a normal sleep-wake cycle pattern. So, you know, limiting contact with the news cycle, limiting contact with others. But of course, for many people, discussions about what is happening, getting out of their own head, discussing with other people, trying to moderate, trying to discuss ways forward, trying to discuss how the world will respond, trying to discuss what are the appropriate responses. Many people have family and relatives on both sides of these conflicts, need to talk about those things, need to talk about how they provide support, how they will cope, what the future might look like. In your new book, The Devil You Knew, you talk about depression and you talk about environmental, physiological and the social influences that guide us. The subtitle says, Why Your Best Days Are Ahead of You. Can you talk me through that? Yeah, so what often happens with people who've got significant depression is they get stuck and they're looking backwards all the time, trying to reconstruct their past and not focusing on getting out of the hole that they're in and moving forward, working out and accepting that they've had this experience, they are vulnerable, and therefore they need to have strategies to get them out of the current situation, what works best, psychologically, medically, socially, to get them out of the hole, and then what will keep them out of the hole, because they understand their own vulnerability. They have taken on the personal journey, often alongside with friends, family, and hopefully with good healthcare professionals, to actually go forward with the knowledge that if they can understand that vulnerability, and put in place the best strategies, and their best days are in front of them. It's not a matter of going back into the hole each time they run into some new environmental stressor. When you see what's going on in Israel and Palestine, like in this exact moment, it is hard to imagine there are good days ahead. How do we convince ourselves that everything's going to be okay? Well, I think this is where experience and and, uh, the reality of these situations is to do exactly that. It's easy, and and for some people, it's relatively easy to be overwhelmed by the current challenges, whether that's been the war in the Ukraine, whether it's current financial pressures, whether it's the current difficulties in the Middle East. But it's also the reality of of human existence that we have in the past come together in different ways to resolve really major challenges and then to move forward. So that is the human experience. That is human history to be able to do that. So catastrophizing and saying, well, everything will end, everything will get worse, the situation will just get worse than it is now, and there will just be more and more incidents, is not consistent, in fact, with what has happened over time. That's not to say or not to dismiss or not to diminish the importance of each of the events. But the real issue is how do we respond as societies, I mean, in our own local societies, but also, of course, in the global community to the challenges that we do face. So I think, you know, from a mental health point of view, it is not just blind hope and, and in the face of otherwise hopelessness. It's what practical actions can we take? 
What ways can we learn from history? What ways can we learn from the way that social groups best function? How cohesively can we come together? Can we take collective action? That does make a difference. And that's really important then to the mental health of each of us and particularly to the mental health of younger generations. So the final question, we should just be talking more, be more supportive and be there for our friends and loved ones as much as possible. As much as possible, we cope better by realistic sharing of our emotionality, sharing of the sense of loss, sharing the sense of threat that is undoubtedly kind of out there, but talking about how humans have been able to solve such problems and what will be required. And to the extent that one can be actively involved in that and actively express those views about positive change, about actions that need to be taken, the better. The more that people can participate in the problem-solving exercise, the better their mental health. That's exactly why we wanted to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time, Professor. It's a pleasure. Thank you. That was Professor Ian Hickey. He's the co-director of the Brain and Mind Institute at the University of Sydney. His new book is The Devil You Knew, The Myths Around Oppression and Why Your Best Days Are Ahead of You. And it's out now. That's it for this extra episode of The Briefing. I'm Amelia Oberhart. Tom and the team will be back in your feed tomorrow morning from 6am. Listener.